around because of foreign wars we wage. More to do with the colors blue and red. Too many laws and too much government. Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread. So many people try to cross the border. Politicians build a new world order. Too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've got to be Perfectly Scooby, spooky uh, broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is trick-or-treat time for those of us who are of the political persuasion and those of us who are simply looking to keep our head down while we wait to see what's going to happen next. It is the day before Halloween. Uh, we are almost upon All Hallows' Eve. Uh, Lots of kids will not be enjoying the usual trick-or-treating. Lots of adults will not get to partake of the same enjoyment, although I have a feeling there's going to be more than a fair share of folks that are going to ignore all the social distancing guidelines and will hide behind a Halloween mask to hide the fact that they're not wearing a approved uh, COVID-19 mask. And so we'll see what happens. But I take this opportunity to remind each and every one of you that, yes, indeed, we are live simulcasting tonight with WCET. So for those of you that are listening there and for those of you that are listening any other place, this, of course, is Friday night, time of the live broadcast. I want to remind you guys to tune in tomorrow starting at midnight tonight on through the whole entirety of the day. The WCET Spookathon will be going on, and there is some exclusive to WCET content only. Uh, Spookathon uh, activities between myself and several other uh, uh, hosts that are going to be on there, lots and lots of WCET hosts. Ron Edwards, of course, uh, is one of those uh, fine folks that's involved with the Spookathon, and I uh, had the privilege to be on with him for an hour of his two-hour tour of duty. And then he returned the favor, and he's going to be with me for an hour of 
my two-hour tour of duty. And so uh, we'll have some interesting and uh, fun and spooky conversation going on. So be sure to tune in and be sure to sign up and become a late-nighter. All right. Uh, so with all that having been said, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Chief, who's already in the chat room. We hung out, uh, jump right in there right away. Thank you so much for being here, Chief. Uh, I myself have uh, been out of uh, action unexpectedly. Uh, had some stuff take place at the day job and uh, required a lot of extra attention and prevented me from being able to fulfill my hostly duties. So um, here we are. We're back, and we're literally about to go into the election week. And I honestly, uh, the spooks, the chills, the thrills, the scary stuff with Halloween, that's all for fun, boys and girls. Tuesday is going to be when the scary for real stuff really gets started. Okay, look at here. Da, 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 go 58 minutes on the first hour. All right. Uh, I'm still getting uh, notes from uh, Cajun, who's also in the uh, BTR chat room with me. He's, of course, the engineer at WCET, making sure that the live simulcast is going off without a hitch and that uh, the proper recording for rebroadcast purposes later is also ongoing. Uh, want to... Uh, to welcome everybody back. So glad that you're here. And there's so much stuff that's happened this week. It's put me at a disadvantage. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of jump right into things and want to have a little bit of fun as we go along. And I want to end uh, this show on a positive note. So I'm going to try to make sure that I at least get uh, the stories that are in the show description out there. And we will play a little bit with some other stuff. But I got to start with the fact that I continue to see signs that indicates to me that there is still hope for people in this country that have been supporting the left. I, I've been seeing some other things that really kind of makes me feel like that's not necessarily the case either, but uh, I was reading some articles, and I spend a lot of time reading for my day job uh, as well. You know, I spend a lot of time doing research, trying to stay up to date, and uh, then beyond that, also leading, uh, reading stuff for uh, leadership stuff and, and just – uh, CEO type things and, and all the periodicals and, and stuff that's written to try and help you to, you know, improve your career and help you to uh, uh, see things through different vantage points and viewpoints. And one of the things that was really, really, uh, uh, it really set a tone to me that there is hope because I was reading uh, on this lady who uh, I, I'm not going to lay out names because I don't want to call anybody out, and it's not like I, I know her, her, but I was reading the piece that she was doing, and she was trying to make the point that a lot of people have kind of let their personal feelings on one aspect kind of cloud their judgments and steal away their own principles. And she used the occasion of Donald Trump contracting COVID as the uh, triggering point. It's when she realized how far she had gone down this road because she said that initially I had two separate reactions. The first reaction, of course, was I, I'm hopeful that this will allow a new insight to Donald Trump to the seriousness of COVID and will lead to a more rev reverent approach to dealing with the public. Now, she put it like that to try and say that you know part of me was thinking this will maybe a turning point, and we'll get a more serious reaction. Clearly, she leans to the left politically because 
most of us of the more conservative ilk uh, understand at this point Donald Trump speak. You know, we, we're not necessarily on the whole Trump train. Not all of us, but a lot of folks are. Not everybody is, but we've come to understand the. Bold, brash, sometimes even hyperbole of the president and how he normally communicates, and it goes back to that imprecise communication that I talk about quite a bit, uh, to the point I'm sure a lot of you are sick of hearing me say it. But just in case there's a new listener, hey, that's something you ought to think about, just imprecise communication. Then she also said, and part of me also took a, a certain amount of glee at the fact that he was sick, at the fact that he might become seriously ill, the fact that… He might even die, and then it was at that point when that idea, when that notion crept into my mind, I realized how far I'd been pushed away from my own personal principles, and it wasn't because of something he had done. It wasn't something that I had realized had happened, but it was because I too had gotten involved with a certain level of groupthink. I, I was in that echo chamber. Now, these aren't her words. Uh, precisely, this is my approximation and trying to more conservatively translate what she was saying. But she basically admitted that it really wasn't her idea, and she didn't realize how far she'd gone. But once that thought entered her head, because she has dedicated her life – these are her words uh, – had dedicated her life to trying to help people – Live their best lives, to try to help people have better lives, to try to help people thrive, to try to help people have better emotional balance and that, that family balance with work balance and the emotional – and the idea that she would take some level of joy from someone else's misery was so antithetical to how she viewed herself and what she believed, the principles that she had based not only her personal life but her – professional life on as well, she realized that uh, that it was a step too far. So it, it just washed over her at a moment, and she realized that it had just taken a new level, and she didn't realize how far it had gone, but that she was going to strive to do better, and she was going to strive to help other people to have this same reckoning because at the end of the day… Having that kind of a feeling not only takes your joy from you, but it prevents you from being a positive influence on others. And so uh, I, I see articles like that, and, and it was clear that there was a great deal of sincerity in what she was writing. So when you see stuff like that, you come to realize uh, that, okay, there's some seriousness there. There are people that are seeing What's happening? They're beginning to realize that others have used their emotions to manipulate them, to take them to places that they don't necessarily want to go, but they didn't even see it. Uh, more stories that kind of point to the fact that more people are coming to realize that we've had yet another uh, mainstream rapper come and uh, be positive and say positive things about Donald Trump. We've got uh, Mr. Little Wayne. Now, Lil Wayne is uh, – well, he was. We'll see if cancel culture comes for him. Uh, he literally set the internet on fire this past Thursday night when he announced that he had had a meeting with President Donald Trump and literally praised 
as a POTUS for his work on criminal justice reform and the administration's platinum plan, uh, which, of course, is intended to bolster black American prosperity. This is not something new. Little Wayne came out, and he said these things. And then he captioned a picture and posted a picture of him and Donald Trump together, captioned it saying, besides what he's done so far with criminal reform, the platinum plan is going to give the community real ownership. He listened to what we had to say today and assured he will and can get it done. Donald Trump, of course, also uh, posted a picture of the two of them together. Now, that's a big deal. Or at least it should be because it constitutes pushback. It constitutes members of the black community, uh, people that are iconic within the black community, pushing back against the insanity that Joe Biden is going to bring should he become the next president of the United States. Now, uh, I kind of feel bad for 50 Cent having kind of renounced his initial plan. I mean he took one look at the tax plan, and he was like, I, I don't want to be broke. But uh, then he turns around and he says, F Trump, just because he couldn't stand up to the push of the – what the Hollywood community? I guess I know Chesley Handler came out with her little, er, uh, you know, I'll do that. <laughs> Come on, man! I, I had no idea Fifty Cent would uh, back down so easy. Because I know for a fact that uh, there are some other folks who have not, in fact, uh, Ice Cube's still out there defending what he said and what he did. In fact, he did so just the other day talking to Trevor Noah. He was uh, on The Daily Show, and uh, he basically came out and said that he thinks partisan politics is corrosive. It's corrosive to the current situation, and that he is willing to talk to both sides of the political aisle. He came out and basically said at the end of the day that just playing partisan politics doesn't get it done. And it's hard to argue that. I want to give a quick shout-out to Bigfoot, who's joined us in the chat room as well. Hey, Big, uh, glad to have you on board. So yeah, we, we see these signs of pushback, but we also see that the manipulation continues. We see a lot of manipulation. So while we've got treats coming on Saturday, we got a ton of tricks coming on Tuesday. We've had a ton of tricks that are already happening. We have certain states. Hawaii uh, was the first uh, they, to announce that they had had more early voting than previous year's total voting. You know, they, And a lot of the Democrats want to think that the early voting thing means it's all good for them. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I do think that it speaks well for their efforts, and I do think that a lot of the folks that have early voted are undoubtedly, unquestionably uh, all about the Democratic narrative. But I also think that there's a lot of Republicans that were fired up, and they weren't taking any chances either. They wanted to vote, uh, and they wanted to vote early. They wanted to make sure that if they had to vote by mail, that they had the best opportunity to get it in and not be rejected. And so that means doing it as early as possible for the mail-in stuff. And as far as the in-person early voting, I think there's a lot of uh, enthusiasm to get out and vote. 
Now, there is a huge story that should be the final push. This should be all that the Trump campaign does for the next few days, and that's talk about these uh, this third, third quarter recovery numbers. Because with literally uh, nearly – it's right about half of the country still on Democrat lockdown that we had a record-breaking recovery in this third quarter. Imagine how big this recovery would have been had all the states been participating. Imagine if California and New York were part of this economic recovery. It probably would have set a record that we would have never been able to match. It would have never been broken. Of course, you have economists trying to downplay it, trying to act like, oh, well, you know, yeah, sure, but it's still not as good as it was before COVID. Well, of course not, because when you lose 30 percent of uh, something, you you go from that 100 percent down to 70 percent. And then when you gain 30 percent, of uh, that 70% back, yeah, you're pretty close to where you were at, but 30% of the 70% isn't exactly back to that 100%, is it? But it's still record-breaking, and it's still a question of what do you want from the next office holder? What do you want from the next president of the United States? I want an economy that can continue to boom. I want an opportunity to abound. I want somebody that's going to continue to honor the federalist system that we have. I want somebody who's going to continue to understand that the federal government has certain authority, and then it's up to the states to do other parts. When was the last time we had a president that was so often accused of being a tyrant, of being a dictator, who literally refused to take opportunities that the Democrats wanted him to do? On the one hand, they're screaming, Donald Trump, take the lead. Take this authority that you don't have. Why? Because they want the average American person to believe that they don't have any right to question the federal government. They want people to step back and say, well, you know, looks pretty hopeless out there. Let's let the government take over. That's what they want. And a lot of folks are giving in to that feeling. A lot of folks are giving in to that notion. Why? Because they've seen the violence on the streets. They've seen the 150-plus days of cities burning, formerly great American cities just on fire because of Antifa and a little bit of BLM. BLM gets a whole lot more of the blame, but it really is more of Antifa in most occasions, especially places like Portland and Seattle. But regardless, now Philadelphia is on fire. Philadelphia is having to deal with its issues, and we'll get to why these people have been emboldened. But there is a lot of this intentional, intentional effort to manipulate your feelings. And a plan has been put in motion, a long-setting plan. So I'm going to vacate from the usual format a little bit because I want to get some extra Edwards notebooks in, and I want to have a little Halloween fun while we're at it. But we're still going to 
to get into some of these other things. So I'm going to break the usual format and throw in a few extra breaks around the way. So remember, right now, we're on WCET Live, and we're at Blog Talk Radio Live. And, of course, uh, we will be distributed everywhere. So wherever you're listening from, thank you so very much. For those of you who are not listening to the live show but are hearing a rebroadcast on other great stations across the country, this time of the live broadcast is October 30th. (laughs) And uh, you guys stay right where you're at. We'll be back right after this. Facing up to the China threat. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, I personally believe that unless the United States of America seriously takes on the threat of communist China, it will not bode well for our beloved republic. We are literally at risk of losing the war that China has been waging against the United States and was literally unchallenged until the election of President Donald Trump. The Chinese Communist Party has been bullying nations like Australia, New Zealand, and numerous other countries throughout Africa. During the Obama regime, China was so emboldened, she, along with Russia, installed a major military presence in Venezuela and very recently provided Venezuela with the latest military technology for numerous naval vessels. The forces of globalism and globalist lackeys in the United States federal government have for years cut deals that gave China a clear advantage over our republic, especially regarding trade agreements that transferred our wealth to China and literally paid for the massive Chinese military that threatens every nation, including our own. For there to be peace, America must be strong. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. This is Dan Perkins for your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day. Did you know that the VA drastically expanded telehealth during the pandemic? Telehealth allows you to stay in your home and visit with the doctor. Prior to the outbreak of the epidemic, the VA system conducted about 2,500 telehealth video sessions daily. Today, it's increased a thousand percent with more than 25,000 telehealth calls every day. Here's your veteran's tip of the day. Make contact with your local VA facility and find out how you can enroll in telehealth. It'll improve the quality of your care. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us Veterans Tip of the Day. Hello, America. This is Tim Tapp on behalf of the Tap into the Truth Voter Apathy Project. Are you someone that believes that the Obama administration was the most transparent presidential administration in history with zero scandals? Do you believe that Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump in 2016 because of misogyny? then you have what it takes to be part of the Voter Apathy Project. You've already demonstrated that you don't care enough to learn about the IRS targeting of Tea Party groups, a little thing called Benghazi, a matter of 30,000-plus missing emails sent to a private server, or Fast and Furious, and I mean the gun running to Mexican drug cartels, not the movie franchise. Yes, that's right. If you don't care enough to learn about small details like these, then maybe you should just stay home on Election Day. Because if you don't care enough to tap into the truth, then you should just stay home. This has been Tim Tapp for the Tap into the Truth Voter Apathy Project.
to WCET-FM on a Friday night. Become a WCET Late Nighter today. What is a late nighter, you ask? A late nighter is a loyal listener who wants access to the WCET radio shows on demand and wants to contribute to the station's growth with an annual or monthly listener contribution. Late nighters also get priority access to host call in shows, special WCET swag, and late nighter only events on the network. Become an annual late-nighter and get a free WCET Stop the Censorship t-shirt sent directly to you all over the world. Just click one of Become a Late-Nighter buttons all over WCETradio.com to subscribe. Without you, there is no us. Hush, little baby, don't say a word. Mama's gonna buy you a mockingbird. And if that mockingbird won't sing, Mama's gonna buy you a diamond ring. All right, everyone, I hope you're fastened in. Buckle up, because we're facing the scary, scary aspects of the possibility, the very real possibility of the entire nation being turned on its head. We're looking at the very real possibility that the Electoral College breaks down in a fashion that doesn't work on behalf of our current president, Donald John Trump. And worse than that, worse than that, there's a real possibility, at least if you believe all the emails I'm getting, especially the ones asking for dollar bills, y'all, so that they can push back against the Democrats, a real chance that the the lead in the House could be uh, – the margin there could be growing. There could be more Democrats, and that the, the majority in the Senate could be lost, and that could be de- – I mean can you imagine the devastation? See, here's the problem. You guys remember, or at least uh, I know the folks that are hanging out in the chat room remember, a uh, recent visit with uh, my good friend, Mr. Ron Edwards, where he was talking about his most recent trip to D.C. He said there people were already boarding up their businesses. I mean this was a couple of weeks before the election. And now uh, news was breaking uh, all over the place today. A memo got leaked. Walmart. Walmart announced on Thursday that it would be removing all guns and ammunition from sales floor displays ahead of election night. I mean, think about that. Uh, it's not like the Walmarts have that many guns left. And it's not like they carry a whole lot of ammunition, uh, just some of the most popular uh, items. And depending on where you're at, maybe you have a better selection. I have a pretty good feeling that my local store out here in rural Tennessee uh, has a much better selection available than, say, a Walmart uh, somewhere in New York State, Uh, depending on what part of the state, of course. I mean there's a lot of farmland and and a lot of stuff within the state. Now you get to the population centers, uh, clearly not so much, but they're that concerned about looting and rioting and theft. 
I mean, literally, they came out and they said that this move was an attempt to tamp down the potential for theft of firearms if any of the company's stores were broken into amid ongoing social unrest across the country. So the details here, of course, a statement Walmart spokesperson Gory Lundberg was speaking with CNN Business. He said, quote, we have seen some isolated civil unrest – excuse me, <laughs> some isolated civil unrest. Uh, yeah, I suppose if you want to look at it one event at a time, it's isolated, but this has been a concerted effort. This has been planned. This has been orchestrated, including the orchestration of putting very, very – Left-minded progressives they claim to be district attorneys in places so that they're little foot soldiers to help go scare the straight folks, to help go tear down the society, wouldn't have to be overly concerned about the prospect of law and order. <laughs> Isolating. I'm sorry. Anyway, back to the quote. We have seen some isolated civil unrest, and as we have done on several occasions over the last few years, we have moved our firearms and ammunition off the sales floor as a precaution for the safety of our associates and customers. Okay, so they see a problem, right? Now, they don't want to come out and say why they got to do this. They don't want to come out and say that, yeah, there's some folks out there causing trouble. There's some folks out there that seem to think going and taking stuff from stores is equivalent to reparations, I guess. I don't I don't know what 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 the actual mindset is other than, hmm, somebody died. Let's go get some stuff. You want to pay for that stuff? Nah. Why should I? Well, because it's the right thing to do in a civilized nation. You know, be part of the civilization. You're not ever, ever going to get any kind of gain if you are an oppressed minority. If you are a, a an oppressed people within a nation, you're never going to elevate your status. You're never going to solve those problems by becoming a criminal element. It's simply not going to happen. If you embrace the criminality, you're never going to succeed in getting the message across that, hey, guys, we should be getting treated exactly the same. Now, Tim, clearly that's a racist sentiment. You're being racist again, you bigoted guy, you. How dare you get on the radio and say such horrendous things on the public airwaves? How dare you? Well, unfortunately, I have the occasionally unfortunate position of having to tell certain truths that aren't particularly popular. I, I had a nearly two-hour conversation with Ken Crow yesterday, uh, trying to work it out. So he's going to join me on Sunday, and we're going to let him go down some of his 
election predictions. And I got to tell you, uh, based on the conversation, we had a lot of gloom and doom. And then I'm going to have him come back on again next Friday, assuming that uh, we conservatives haven't all been rounded up and moved into re-education centers. Assuming that hasn't happened, and assuming that there's still conservative talk radio that's permissible, assuming that Cajun hasn't had to run out into the Gulf of Mexico and I haven't had to make a, a break across the Smoky Mountains here and then get out off the coast of uh, North or South Carolina, and, and we're out here trying to broadcast pirate radio signals back into what was once free America. Assuming that hasn't happened, and Ken's going to come back on Friday, and we're going to talk about uh, the fallout of the election and where things are at and uh, how many places have still refused to, to call the election or certify their state election because you know there's going to be one or two. You just know. I mean maybe that landslide comes. I would love for it to happen. I'm, I'm way more optimistic about a Donald Trump win than Ken is right now. I mean Ken's calling Georgia going for the Democrats, and he was calling uh, – the Texas quite possibly going for the Democrats, and when you break it down and you look at how blue Austin and Dallas uh, – yeah, it's not that far-fetched. There are several states, several of those key states that Donald Trump has to win in order to become reelected to the current office he holds. That the polling data as it is tightened up right now has literally moved to within the margin of error, which is exactly why uh, Donald Trump could win. In fact, he could sweep all those states that it's within the margin of error right now, and technically the polling was still correct. That's why they have a margin of error. But the problem is Ken is afraid that… Instead of Donald Trump winning there, what actually happens is Joe Biden wins there. Not that Biden is going to be president for more than five minutes, but it's still technically his name on the ticket. He's the, he's the front guy the party put up there because that's the guy that Democrats can look at and say, I remember Joe from 30 years ago. He, he was a reasonable kind of… Uh, statesman type of guy, uh, which again, it, it helps that 30 years have passed since then, so they can kind of forget what he was really like. But uh, you're really looking at the circumstance where, hey, uh, yeah, make it a little easier to vote for somebody because the average Democratic voter in this country couldn't vote for Kamala Harris, not as the head of the ticket. That's why she dropped out before they even got to California. They couldn't hold their nose and make that. So they would probably have stayed home. The average Democratic voter in this country is not so far gone as to have been able to have supported Robert Francis O'Rourke. Coming for your AR 15s. Hell yeah, I am. They couldn't have found themselves voting for a Julian Castro. Certainly not a Cory Booker. I mean, maybe Tulsi Gabbard, but uh, the party itself doesn't like her. Hell, they've even got uh, Hillary Clinton out there saying that Tulsi Gabbard's a Russian asset. Russia, Russia, Russia. Man, they really love blaming stuff on Russia. I, I think they're still just mad 
that Putin made fun of Hillary Clinton when she was running around with her giant red uh, reset prop button. You guys remember that? This internal memo to store managers that went out on Wednesday, it got reported, and Walmart says, get the guns and the ammos off the shelves. And in some cases, in some locations, they have literally moved them out of the stores completely. And that's probably pretty smart because guess what? If you're in one of these major cities, there's a really good chance that they come anyway. And should that happen, then there's also a really good chance that they don't just stop with what's on the shelves. So is Walmart doing the right thing? I don't know. I mean, you'll have to tell me. I tend to think it's probably not a bad move if that's what you're afraid of. I myself would like to think that we lived in a country where we wouldn't have to worry about such things. Unfortunately, that's not where we're at. All right, I'm going to take a spooky risk right here. Uh, got a caller who's called in on the line and has raised their hand. Uh, I'm hoping it's who I think it is, but unfortunately I haven't memorized their number. We're going to go ahead and take the caller. Uh, first of all, caller, area code uh, 314, happy Halloween, and uh, welcome briefly to the show. Well, good afternoon. <clears throat> I got a question for you. All right, sir. My name is uh, Mr. Pianchi, calling from the Midwest and the South. Now, given all the information that we know on Joe Biden, quid quo pro and everything else, given his 47 years in Congress and all the things he's done pertaining to racists, the the things he put in place in order to lock people up. Same thing with Kamala Harris, too. Then let's look at the president, all the charges that were leveled against him from Russia, the prostitutes, the quid pro pro that led up to impeachment. All those didn't go nowhere. But look what he's done to the economy and trade and so forth, the other things, with tax reduction and so on, all the good things he's done. So what the heck is it that people can't see? Or is it that they are blind? And I know of two things that would make people blind that I know of. Of course, there's probably more. One is bad moonshine whiskey, and the other is just plain hate. Just plain hate. So which one is it? I ask you. Well, I think there's a good chance, at least in some park, uh, some pockets of the country, it might be a little of both. But uh, it's clearly mostly hate. 
Uh, There's a lot of hate that's put out there by uh, a certain group of the political class that cannot stand that uh, Donald Trump actually does uh, mean what he says and says what he means. And he he doesn't just try to make empty promises. He goes to try to do the work of what he says he wants to do, and he does want this nation uh, to once again put the people first. Uh, that that's very troubling to the career politicians and to the globalists who have a very different agenda. Uh, outside of that, it, it is scary, and and I know you see this for yourself. It's so scary to see how many people out there who just parrot talking points and can't give you a single actual example of uh, why Donald Trump is uh, uh, just why is he a racist? Uh, why is he a criminal? Well, how many laws has he broken? You'll hear people say he's broken many laws, and it's like. Well, which ones? Yeah. He's so racist. Okay. Tell me an example of something he's done that's racist. How many times did he disclaim white supremacy? 38 times. I have blacks that say, I'm African-American. Well, he's never done any kind. Well, that's a lie. You remember Jennifer Jennifer Hudson, don't you? The lady that uh, won American Idol. You know her family. Yeah, her family. Yeah. Donald Trump put the rest of the family up and her in his hotel, provided security for him, and said, you don't have to pay me anything. Stay as long as you need. And there's many, many more stories of him paying off people mortgages, giving the rescuers that the one bus driver kept the lady from jumping off the bridge, talked her back onto the sidewalk. He got out the bus he was driving. He gave him ten grand. He's done things forever. In this picture of him being with all the typical shakedown artists at one point in time, I don't understand how the hell people could be so hateful, man. Uh, well, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I don't. I, I can't tell you how many times I have lamented on air over the past several months how many people are completely clueless about what actually happens. I mean, quite honestly, the uh, the Republican convention was the first time a lot of these people even realized that Donald Trump had worked on criminal justice reform. It was the first time some of these folks realized that Donald Trump actually has uh, people of color that work for him and enjoy it, who like him. Uh, Seeing Herschel Walker freaks people out. And right now, you know, you've got uh, Little Wayne was the newest one, and you had Ice Cube the other day. These people coming out and saying Donald Trump's talking uh, real talk, and you know, it's freaking folks out, and they have no idea because they stay insulated. They don't stick their head out of their little echo chamber, and the legacy media they don't want to talk about a single positive point. Uh, you talk about Al Sharpton. You talk about uh, Jesse Jackson being in these pictures. Uh, I seem to recall uh, the fact that uh, Donald Trump has has went out of his way forever to try and be outstanding and helpful for his community when he was in New York or wherever he's at. And on top of that, nobody wants to talk about how real what he's done in the Middle East is. He's literally got Arab states acknowledging Israel's right to exist and having moved the embassy to Jerusalem. All these things are major positives in the world, but instead they get hung up on Donald Trump's rhetoric. Sometimes, sometimes I could do without uh, how he communicates. 
But at the end of the day, his message, if you take the time to just acknowledge who he is and ignore how he talks and listen to what's actually being said, the man has been a phenomenal president. He has been phenomenal. He's been a godsend. The only thing he's lacked doing is walking on water. I'm telling you, I've been around a long time. The man is on the ball. He does what he says he's going to do. If he don't get it done, at least he tries like heck. And he hasn't took took but a dollar a year in salary. People say he's out trying to enrich himself. I say, well, where is this? Where? He said... He say you don't. They say you don't care anything for blacks. You know, he, Nigeria is fighting terrorists in the northern region. Obama would not give them the intelligence and equipment and and technology to do that. Obama said your human rights policies have to change, i.e., same-sex marriage and abortion on demand, basically. Hillary Clinton said the same thing. When Donald Trump came in office, he said, we'll give you whatever you need to fight the terrorists. or help you get it. So where in the heck are these folks coming up with this mess? Well, again, you've got the legacy media that just wants to control what people think. They're not about reporting the news anymore. Uh, Modern journalism is not journalism. They they pick a side. They want to move everything in that direction. They want to not only write the narrative but control the narrative. And we're we're living at a time right now, sir, that that Hollywood thinks that uh, you should do whatever they say. Uh, the uh, DC swamp, swamp creatures think they should rule every aspect of your life, and they can't stand anybody that's willing to oppose them. And, and that's what really makes this election one of the scarier ones because there are so many people that are so ill-informed that have no clue because most of the truth has been hidden from them, and they haven't taken the time to put in the effort to look past what they're being told. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to make mention of two more things and get, let you get back to your show. And the last thing I want to know, what's our solution? What are we going to do? But you know, there's one talking point as it has to do with with uh, the Affordable Health Care Act, and that's the uh, uh, existing conditions. <clears throat> the thing is, with con- existing conditions, I don't have no problem with insurance companies covering existing conditions. But guess what? You're going to have to pay more than you normally would have to. Isn't it the same thing when you go to buy automobile insurance? If you got a lot of citations and tickets, you have to pay more. It's not saying that they won't insure you, but it's going to cost more because guess what? You're a higher risk. So the same thing should – you shouldn't have to pay extra in your premium when just because they're covering me and I paying the standard rate because I'm overweight. I have high blood pressure. I'm a higher risk that you are picking up the tab on. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with this media? You know, in countries around the world that have had military coups, you know the first thing they get rid of is the media. Then they start working on the politician. When Jerry Rollins became president of Ghana some years ago, the first one of the first things he done was bring forth those people and politicians that were still living during the time they overthrew and Krumah, and he killed him. So what are we going to do? 
Yeah, I, I think we have to keep doing uh, what we're doing right now. Uh, keep talking. Make sure that people are hearing us. Force them to uh, force them to silence us, but make sure that it's public when they do. Make sure that people really start to get the idea that uh, that it is dangerous what they're trying to push. Because unfortunately, far too many people are siding with the idea of oh we have to ban hate speech or we have to stop uh, uh, we have to do the cancel culture because they can't see the time when that's going to get turned back around on them. But uh, they need to see that. And unfortunately, I, I'm afraid some of us who are willing to stand up and uh, speak up on behalf of the founding of the nation and the ideas of individual liberty and trying to continue to move forward with the promises made in our founding documents, some of us are going to have to be martyrs, I'm afraid. Well, i tell you one thing. I've been watching this come a long time. They worked up using the word racism. They call a white conservative racist, and they stop dead in their tracks as if they're paralyzed. Conservatives don't know how to fight. They need to learn how to fight. Because if yeah. you don't, you won't have a damn thing worth fighting for pretty soon. Sir, I appreciate the time, and keep up the good work. I appreciate the call, sir, and you are welcome on any time. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. All right. Well, there you have it, guys. Uh, pretty well laid out, uh, and uh, he makes the case about as well as anybody. And, again, we keep having to have this conversation because there's not enough people uh, – oops, I, I was actually only going to mute him, and I, I think I might have bumped the wrong button. <laughs> Sorry, Pianchi. Uh, yeah. And I'm always glad when Pianchi – and that's who I was hoping that was because I, I had the uh, the area code uh, down. I know where he normally calls from, and so now I'm like, okay, yeah, and, and now I'm going to make sure that I know the number exactly. So next time he calls, I'm not going to be concerned. Uh, <laughs> with Halloween, you never know what else is going on. Though. So Pianchi makes great points again, and he's absolutely right. And again, one of the points I was going to make later in the second hour is I go down uh, the uh, – the rabbit hole is the fact that I really am concerned about what it does take to get us where we need to go. And I really am afraid if Joe Biden wins, I mean, we don't know how long Joe Biden is going to stay president. Maybe a few months, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few hours. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is ready to pull the trigger with her little committee. All it's going to take is Joe Biden deciding. Hey, you know what? I, I I want this nice pudding a little longer, and maybe he doesn't go along with whatever the big grand plan was. Really looks like more than anything uh, the party wanted him because they could get enough middle-of-the-road Democratic voters to say, okay, I like him better than I like Donald Trump's personality. But it looks like he was willing to go along because it's the only way to keep his son Hunter out of federal prison, and maybe himself too. Now, be fair, as much as I think it's pretty clear-cut that he's had some level of knowing involvement with illicit activities, including while he was vice president of the United States, there still hasn't been enough evidence presented to say, yes, indeed, Joe Biden himself also profited. Because there's still a big difference between letting your son or letting your brother profit off of your name and pretend to maybe have more access and have your ear more than they do or don't. 
you just have to kind of wonder what some of the contracts – it looks bad, but there's not been enough evidence to say unequivocally, unquestionably, undoubtedly shenanigans occurred. I mean there were shenanigans, but were there Joe Biden shenanigans or were they simply Hunter Biden shenanigans? Were they simply Jim Biden shenanigans? Was there any more knowledge? Now, we've got very compelling, very compelling testimony from this guy who's come forward, the former business partner, uh, and it sounds very viable. sounds very believable, but I'm still reluctant to just jump right on and say, we've got him clear cut, bang, bang, because he could, he could be grinding an axe. You know, one person stepping forward. Let's let's continue to build the case. That's all I'm saying there. I very much would like to see something happen, but let's continue to build the case. Uh, I only have a few minutes left, but I would not have uh, I would have not have been willing to miss that phone call by any means. I, I'm glad I took it. So I'll take a, just a little lightweight story. Uh, that I was hoping to sneak in anyway, and then we'll pick up an hour number two with uh, the hard-hitting uh, stories. Hard-hitting? Well, I don't know how hard-hitting they are, but the major stories I was looking to discuss. And uh, this just is, uh, it raises questions. See, there's a scholar of African-American history at Furman University who now has resigned after an anonymous post on Medium claims that she's not a Chicana, as she claims. Kelly Keen Sharp resigned after an anonymous writer who said that he or she had distantly known Sharp when she was getting her doctorate at the University of California. The writer said that he or she was, quote, more than surprised to find out that Sharp was now describing herself as Chicana. This discovery led to multiple conversations and a flurry of research on the part of people who had known Kelly at UC Davis. They approached this writer to help publicize her fabrication and trash, oh, I'm sorry, and strategic use of the Chicana identification. Though it remains unknown exactly when she took on this persona and how much she has used it professionally, many who previously knew her, are quite confused. She had only ever identified as non-Hispanic white woman as far as they knew. Allegedly, when some colleagues asked her about her newfound identity, she claimed that her parental grandmother had been from Mexico. Oh yeah, and uh, she had high cheekbones too, right? High cheekbones? <laughs> Elizabeth Warren, get it? Okay, um, so here's the deal. I mean, it just leads me to this question. If these people are so oppressed, why are so many Caucasians who have been brainwashed trying to identify as something other than they are? I mean, if being white is where all the privilege is, why assume an identity that's non-white? I mean, I was a little surprised to find out people were still identifying as Chicana at this point. I, I thought that was one of those self-identifiers that they had evolved to a, a different one. I hadn't heard anybody actually use that phrase in a little bit, so maybe that's just me being out of the loop. Sorry if I am. 
you know, I too much time in my echo chamber, maybe. But it was just like I I, I don't remember the last time I heard somebody say that. It's it's been a little while. But I don't want to get hung up on that. The question becomes, ooh, is Halloween so let's get spooky? The question becomes, is this a result of a? Perhaps there's not quite as much privilege in being white, especially in academia, as we've been led to believe. Or B, is it a result of the double indoctrination that this individual went through during her school years to the point that she hates herself so much that she had to latch onto a delusion? Remember, the folks on the left, they believe it's perfectly okay for you to identify as whatever you want to identify as, right? You know, the reality of your DNA means nothing. The chromosome counts of your DNA genetic makeup mean nothing. You can be born female, but it's okay to be a guy. You can be born male, it's okay to be a chick. Because, you know, some men have periods too. I have yet to figure out how it is that they manage to keep their pronouns straight when they are all over the board with this stuff, and they continue to deny science and continue to turn around and call us the science deniers because we tend to think that poor forestry management has a lot more to do with wildfires on the West Coast than, say, climate change. But I digress point here is which is which does she hate herself so bad she had to assume this identity was there an actual advantage is it easier to become a professor at any university when you are teaching african-american history if you are a person of color as opposed to being caucasian which actually is also a color by the way i mean which is it I don't know, and I feel bad on the one hand for this person because maybe she really wishes she could identify this way. But sorry, honey, as a Caucasian, you're the only one not allowed to play this game. The only thing that could be worse for you is if you were a Caucasian male Christian who happened to be slightly better off than the average American, uh, thereby they would automatically call you being rich, which… As you and I both know, that's not an automatic thing. All right, so I'm quickly running out of time for the simulcast, so I'm going to have to tell everybody listening live over at WCET right now. Thank you so much for being here. Happy to have had you. Be sure to tune in to the Spookathon tomorrow. Happy Halloween. I uh, hope you'll uh, listen to Ron Edwards, who I think kicks off right at midnight. And uh, then uh, be sure to turn back in uh, about 6 a.m. when it's my turn there. Uh, have a happy Halloween, guys. And, uh, you know, uh, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort. More importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, be smart out there. Uh, Someone tells me next week we're going to need it. Reset the hour right now. You guys uh, who are here live, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back for hour number two right after this. Seems like a thousand years since we had real fears. But the old ones won't forget These broken levee walls Had a few close calls 
but they haven't fallen yet. And you know the rain. Welcome to today's broadcast of Tap into the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful and tonight somewhat spooky host, Tim Tap, coming live from historic Rome County, Tennessee. And part of the history here is Halloween. It continues. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who are listening to the show rebroadcast, Great radio stations across the country, stations like KYAH, 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority, WCET Radio, KDIL, 105.7 FM in Kennewick, Washington, and KOII, 94.5 FM in Flagstaff, Arizona. If you're listening to one of those great radio stations, you might need to know that the time of the live broadcast, the time I'm right here letting you people know that we're having all kinds of Halloween fun is October 30th. It's 2020. It's a few brief moments after 8 p.m. Eastern. That's why I am here. I want to give quick shout-outs to Bigfoot, blogger extraordinaire. Check out his stuff at bigfootsplace.blogspot.com. 
Got Crazy Cajun in the house, making sure that the recording is going on as well. Uh, I'm listening, so give a shout out. Okay, uh, just reading in the chat room. And of course, we've got Chief, host of Simple Facts of Life. Great program in its own right. Check him out at blogtalkradio.com. You'll see a little search bar at the top of the homepage. You can put in QMC USN, and that will take you right there. But if you happen to be listening to the rebroadcast, you're out driving around listening to your radio right now. Maybe it's not convenient for you to do that. Maybe by the time you get home, you're thinking, I really want to check out that guy that Tim keeps talking about. And, uh, you know, I I don't remember what those letters were. Q-M-S-L-B ampersand. What? What, what, what was it? Well, this is a little easier to remember, and it might help. Just put in simple facts of life. If you can't remember the other, you'll have to scroll down a little bit, but you will find them. Great programs. You can join him live on Tuesdays. He starts at 6 p.m. Eastern. You, of course, can adjust your time zone accordingly. And as that transpires, uh, just a ton of great programs. And uh, I really, really can't impress upon you enough. Uh, well worth your time spent. He does 30 minutes, and it's great. All right, so it is the day before Halloween while we're here live. It may be after Halloween by the time you hear this. But if you are listening via podcast, you may actually be listening tonight uh, a few hours after we've done this. You may be listening in India, and uh, maybe already be Halloween where you're at. Uh, All that, uh, just keep in mind, I'm trying to spread some holiday cheer here because we get the treats now. The tricks are coming on Tuesday and probably multiple days after that. We'll see what happens, though. Why would I say that? Eating time. Later, people. All right. See you, Cajun. Uh, Thanks for being here. Um, Of course, he's still recording. But some of the things that really transpired uh, the last little bit really shows you that there is still a concerted effort. I want to get to a couple of stories real quick, and then I want to get to the uh, meat and potatoes of why I say there's been a concerted effort. And part of it is something we've been talking about before. I haven't gone very in-depth with it, and this is probably going to be about the deepest dive I've done to it so far, but it's a topic that we've broached, and you've been hearing in other places. And again, the legacy media pushes it to the side, so I'm definitely, definitely going to get there, but I have to address this story first, and it plays on with the same theme. There is a concerted effort, and the latest of which was Nancy Pelosi's big effort uh, on Thursday to try and play it off like once again she's desperately trying to save America before the election with corona relief packages. But it's those nasty old mean Republicans and that that racist, bigot, wall-building Donald Trump, the orange man who's bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist. Yeah, I, I, I like that so much. I'm going to keep using it. It's him that keeps stopping me from saving America because I'm Nancy Pelosi. Okay, so in case you didn't know, let me paint the picture for you because I can see where it's possible that this story may have kind of snuck under the radar. But Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin on Thursday said that he first learned about a letter 
that Speaker of the House Nancy Mimi Pelosi had sent to him regarding coronavirus stimulus talks. The first he learned about it was in the media. He saw it in the press. He didn't get the letter first. He saw it in the media. said, quote, I woke up this morning and read Speaker Pelosi's letter to me in the press. Enclosed is my response. Her all-or-none approach is hurting hardworking Americans who need help now. Now, this was a response he put up on, of all places, of course, Twitter, because that seems to be where all the negative things in this country and, of course, every politician and, and all modern journalism seems to be occurring. So Steve Mnuchin took it directly to Twitter. Now, Pelosi aides said that they had sent the letter to Mnuchin shortly after midnight. Though the Treasury Secretary said he first saw the letter when Politico's morning newsletter, The Playbook, published it just after 6 a.m. Uh, this, of course, was reported in the Washington Post, in case you're wondering. Now, the letter outlined a number of outstanding issues in the negotiations, including state and local aid, school funding, child care money, tax credits for working families, unemployment insurance aid, and liability protections for businesses. Some of this is stuff that Donald Trump doesn't have a problem with. He would sign off on and probably could get uh, the Republicans-controlled Senate to go along with as well, some of it. I don't see them fighting against the tax credits for the working families. I don't see them fighting against unemployment insurance assistance, and uh, there's a lot of things here that they probably would be very much for. But some of these items are – well, they're just leftist agenda crap. It's bailouts for poorly managed and poorly run Democratic states who are about to face cataclysmic events for their finances, and they're using coronavirus relief as an excuse to get the federal government to bail them out. And that's been a hard no from the beginning, and it should be. When you hear the phrases state and local aid and school funding, okay, they're throwing child care money. When they say child care money, school funding, and state and local aid, they're going to paint the picture of first responders and law enforcement in desperate need. Now, we know how they feel about law enforcement, right? So if they're talking, uh, we've got to help, uh, you know they're full of, uh, well, bovine excrement, if you will. When they say state and local aid, if they say school funding, if they say child care money, do not take them at their word on that. That is their veiled way of trying to spin the fact that, uh, yeah, this is just a bailout for poorly run uh, democratic uh, cities and states. That's what that is. But of course that's the battle cry, and they think it's a winning strategy. Now, Mnuchin's letter… So that because Pelosi had sent the letter to, quote, my office at midnight and simultaneously released it to the press, I can, un I can unfortunately only conclude it is a political stunt, end quote. 
I tend to think that he's absolutely right, and I, I appreciate and I applaud his willingness to call it out. What I am unfortunately saddened by is the fact that this too is just another partisan political play. Nancy Pelosi is trying to play up to the leftist, and Mnuchin is simply trying to defend their current standing, which is also a hardened political stance. I don't believe they should give in on it. In fact, I really get kind of iffy right now about whether or not we should be doing any more corona relief because, quite honestly, doing it gives further cover for certain places to continue to stay locked down when they don't need to. Now, if suddenly we were to just lock everything down again, if somehow we decided to take the New Zealand approach and said, okay, for the next um, three Four weeks, for the next month, we're just going to shut everything down, absolutely shut down. Nobody gets out and does anything. There is no such thing as essential workers. Uh, you know, If you suddenly have a heart attack, sorry, uh, you know, we're, we're locking down. There's not going to be any Uber drivers. There's not going to be any Eats deliveries, none of that. Just we're going to give you a, a few weeks to stock up, and we're going to give you this relief uh, package right up front. You're not going to need anything else after that because nothing's going to be open. If they were going to do something like that, then yes, more corona relief, please. I mean, please. You're literally telling everybody they can't do anything. But by continuing to have this hope of another check, another freebie out there, there's a lot of people who could have returned to work who haven't. There's a lot of people – who have opportunities, who've refused to take them because they're holding out. They're going to get some more free stuff before they have to do it. Now, it, I feel bad having to say it, but there are. And, and it's not even a case of people who are lazy per se. It's just people who are like, you know, I can take advantage of this. Why shouldn't I? If they're just going to give away money. Why shouldn't I take it? Would I get the same money if I do go back to work? No, then I'm going to have to go earn it. And it's not that I don't want to earn it, but… Why would I work hard if I can get something for nothing? So the left technically has already been successful with their effort to try and infect the American mindset and steal away values and in American integrity because there's a lot of folks who are otherwise good, reasonable, and fairly intelligent people that have fallen into that trap. So you got that going on, and clearly, clearly, because Pelosi was waiting – Waiting for the Mnuchin response, you know it was political from there too because Pelosi's office pushed back almost instantly to Mnuchin's response, saying, quote, it is disappointing that the White House wasted time on this letter instead of meaningful responses to meet the needs of the American people. This, of course, from Drew Hamill, Pelosi's spokesman. I, yeah, okay. So isn't it? Equally disappointing that the speaker has wasted time sending this letter to Mnuchin instead of signing off on the partial stuff. You got stuff in there that you know is a no deal. You know it's a no-go, and you know Donald Trump's not going to back down from it. We're not bailing out poorly managed states and cities that were already in trouble. There's no reason… 
why somebody from Tennessee should have to pay for the poor management of Detroit. There's no reason why somebody from Macon, Georgia, should have to pay for the poor management of San Francisco. There's no reason. The people living in San Francisco should demand better from their elected officials, and if they can't get it from the people they voted for, they should learn because sadly, sadly, sometimes tough love is the only love that matters. Because sadly, sometimes stupid people only learn by hurting themselves and having to feel the pain, having to live with the consequence. Sometimes the best thing you can do for your fellow American is to let them live with their consequences instead of trying to protect them from it. You got who you voted for. No, oh, no, no, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. Donald Trump's been the best thing that's happened to you. Had a conversation with Ron Edwards the other day, and and he asked me point blank the conversation. Uh, well, he made the statement that he believes that the American political left is much more far left than China and Russia. I said, well, yeah, clearly they are. There's no doubt, and the reason for that is because in Russia and in China, they've had to deal with the real world consequences of those political systems. They understand the reality. Of trying to make that work and trying to avoid the people ever overthrowing them. But the people in America, the leftists in America, the leftist political left here, they've never had leftist, Marxist, socialism, communism. It's anything other than a thought exercise because they've always had the system that we currently have here in place to cushion them and to give them opportunities that the very systems that they are proactively seeking would never have allowed. So it's just a thought exercise. So they're free to go very far to the left. So we see this. Orchestrated carefully, waiting. They were waiting to pounce on whatever Mnuchin had said. They know that nobody in the Trump administration is just going to sit back and take it. You're not going to take a swing at these people and expect them not to swing back. And they want you poised and ready to, to just be desperate as we move into the election. And another good example, Butler County, Pennsylvania. Thousands, thousands of voters in Butler County, Pennsylvania have complained at this point that they have yet to receive their ballots in the mail. These are people that have requested mail-in ballots, requested absentee mail-in ballots. Thousands of voters in a single county… In the very important swing state of Pennsylvania, thousands haven't gotten their ballot yet, and at this point, yes, boys and girls, today is Friday, time of the live broadcast. The election's on Tuesday, so less than a week left before Election Day, and they haven't even gotten their ballots. Now, local officials, of course, have <clears throat> quote pulled out all the stops in their attempt to ensure that each and every individual voter is allowed to cast their ballot. Butler County's election director, a Mr. Aaron Sheasley, Sheasley, I think, I, Aaron, I, no disrespect if I'm getting that wrong. 
Aaron told Fox News this past Thursday, uh, we are 100 percent focused on making sure that everybody gets their ballot and that they're able to get them back to us in time to be counted for the election. Well, that's nice. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it since technically that's your job. But do you want a cookie? You want a cookie for doing your job? That's where we're at, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know, we, we've had discussions in the past about uh, what motivates you best, the stick or the carrot. And I got no problem with you offering the carrot as a motivation. But I'm sorry, you don't get some extra special treat just because you did what you're supposed to do. And in this case, they haven't done what they're supposed to do. Of the 40,000 ballots sent out, about 21,300, so a little bit north of that, have been returned. But officials claim that thousands of Butler County residents have phoned in or emailed to claim their ballot hasn't even got to them yet. Around 40 people have been tasked with, handi- <clears throat> with handling the issue, including deputy sheriffs who are delivering ballots to those who are incapable of voting in person. A lot of effort, a lot of expense trying to accommodate this. A Butler County Board of Commissioners chair, Leslie Osh. Again, if I'm if I'm butchering that, Leslie, I apologize. But uh, the Board of Commissioners chair said, "quote We have our deputy sheriffs, probably two at a time, every several hours." We have our entire commissioner's office staff returning phone calls and taking calls. The Veterans Bureau staff is taking calls. The DA is preparing for the election. The sheriff is taking calls. I mean, it really is. It's it's pretty much the entire building at this point. Again, guess what? Crunch time. And what is doubt? No doubt, no question ever, the most consequential election possibly – in this nation's history, and I'm not somebody that throws around that phrase every couple of years when we have an election. Certainly not once every four years. We've all heard it. This is the most consequential election, and part of the reason we say that is because up to that point in time, might have been. But the consequences here are so much more dire than – We can imagine because now the swamp dwellers know that Donald Trump was serious when he said he wanted to put the American people first again. They realize that no matter what they do, they can't make him quit. They can't find a way to pin stuff on him, and every time they take a step forward to try and sink him in their muck and mire, part of their own dirty, muddy past comes to the surface, and they run the risk of facing real consequences, and if not from the judicial system, then quite possibly from the wrath of the American people itself. I'm sorry, Butler County Board of Commissioners Chair, that you guys are having to work a little bit harder than you normally would. I'm pretty certain at this point, based on all the early voting that we've seen, based on all the mail-in ballots that the Democrats were calling for initially, and then I'm pretty sure you guys would have been really busy right about now anyway. But to think that there are so 
many requested mail-in ballots that have yet to show up. Again, this, this may not be intentional. Now, some of these missing ballots that we've talked about before may be a natural mistake. When we were talking about the uh, county in Ohio, that uh, people got their mail-in ballots and they were wrong. Again, it may have been an honest mistake, not somebody trying to, to monkey with the outcome, not an effort at voter fraud, but just a, a legitimate mistake. There's enough of that stuff that goes on every year that it could be consequential. And I keep hearing the argument from people like Ben Shapiro, who I thoroughly enjoy and greatly respect. I enjoy listening uh, to his point of view. He's an extremely intelligent person, and I love the fact that he, perhaps better than anyone, expresses how facts don't care about your feelings. He doesn't just say it as a catchphrase. He personifies the idea, but he continues to say that there's just simply not enough voter manipulation, I guess, voter fraud to greatly affect the outcome of the election. But you see, the problem with that mindset, and the one place that I disagree with, because his general premise is correct. Overall, in an ordinary election set, there's enough votes cast in places around the country that you'd still typically get the right results as long as there's not some huge concerted effort across the board to just simply be deceptive. That normally it works out the correct way anyway. But the problem is this election is so close, or at least it seems to be. If if I if everything that I'm reading is right, if if all the the vibes that I'm getting from the people I'm talking to in the various locations is correct, then it is very close. And in places, these swing states that are in play, that are up in the air, that literally are within the margin of error for most of the polling data, then one well-placed effort, one could determine the outcome of the final count in the Electoral College. I don't know that there's ever been an election where even an accidental incident like the one we saw in Ohio last week, that could be enough to swing the entirety of the outcome. I mean who would have ever thought we would have been worried about Figuring out what the heck a hanging chad was, let alone counting the chads, counting the dimples uh, in the state of Florida just a few short years ago when a certain former vice president who claimed to be from Tennessee but hadn't set foot in the state in, in quite a while, Mr. Al Gore thought that he should be the climate change president. Of course, this is before he… Got on the climate change bandwagon. That became a way for him to make money after the fact. What am I going to do? Well, let's come up with another scam. Looks like you can't go back to the Senate. It looks like after being vice president, there's just, they're not going to have you in the White House. So what are you going to do? I don't know.
these are the notions that they're setting up. Now, this is, again, the concerted effort. I keep making the point that this in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean that shenanigans are afoot. It means it could be a legitimate mistake. But the concerted effort here isn't so much the mistakes as much as it is them getting you used to the idea that things may not be settled. Getting you used to the idea that nothing may work out the way it's supposed to. That's the point. That's the purpose. That's the idea. That's the concerted effort. Now, the next level of the concerted effort is way more devious, way more destructive. But I'm going to go ahead and take the uh, mid-hour break right about now. And I'm looking at BTR, and I'm wondering if uh, wondering if you guys have had audio for the last little bit. Uh, have you guys been able to hear me the whole time? I'm pretty sure recording for WCET and for that is fine. But has the BTR folks, have you guys been hearing me? Uh, somebody uh, in the chat room let me know. In the meanwhile, let's go ahead and do the Edwards Notebook and have uh, that little – mid uh, hour break all that other wonderful stuff and i will be right back on the other side don't go anywhere a man named george washington carver was born an 1864 slave yet achieved greatness because he knew he had a purpose hello i'm ron edwards on today's page from the edwards notebook as a very small boy exploring the woods where he resided Carver said that he had the impression someone had just been there ahead of him. A few years later, in those same woods, Mr. Carver said he was overwhelmed by the sense of some great presence. He noted not only had someone been there, but someone was there. Carver noted that years later, when he read in the scriptures, quote, In him we live and move and have our being. He understood that never since had he been without his consciousness of the Creator speaking to him. Carver considered the out-of-doors to be more and more a great cathedral in which God would continuously be spoken to and heard from. George Washington Carver believed he was hearing from God when he discovered 300 uses of peanuts and hundreds more uses for soybeans, pecans, and sweet potatoes, which could have benefited mankind, but the benefits were blocked from ever reaching the masses during the FDR administration. Mm -hmm. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Welcome, I'm Dan Perkins with your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day. Many veterans have been in the hospital throughout the pandemic without the ability to see family or loved ones. As a result, depression is on the rise. Here's your veterans tip of the day. Go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us and click on the donate button to contribute an MP3 system to a veteran. You can help fight depression. Go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. This has been your veterans tip of the day. Hello Americans, Tim Tap here again for the Tap into the Truth Voter Apathy Project. Are you someone that believes that taking 
guns away from law-abiding citizens makes America safer? Do you believe that fewer police in the communities that are suffering from the highest rates of crime is a good idea? Do you believe that Hollywood celebrities are so much smarter than the rest of us that we should listen to what they have to say and live our lives the way they want us to? Then congratulations, you've got what it takes to be part of the Voter Apathy Project. You've already demonstrated that you don't care enough to understand why the framers created the Second Amendment in the first place. You've also demonstrated that you don't care enough to understand crime statistics and why they matter. And you've also demonstrated that you're simply not willing to think for yourself. So if you said yes to any of those questions, maybe instead of going to go vote, you should just go watch another movie. This has been Tim Jap reminding you that if you don't care enough to tap into the truth, you should just stay home on Election Day. Late Nighters and WCET radio listeners around the world, listen up. The shop is here, and you can order WCET radio and your favorite shows swag right now and show your friends and your neighbors you're awake by wearing one of our many shirts including our Stop the Censorship shirt. That one is a hot seller, so get yours while supplies last. We have coffee mugs, clocks, so you never miss your favorite shows, books, mouse pads, and more coming soon. Just go to WCETradio.com and click the Shop link. That's WCETradio.com and get to shopping. Late Nighters, make sure you like and follow WCET Radio and all our shows on social media. Just click the channel you want at the top and bottom of our homepage. Then be sure to share with a friend and ask that friend to do the same. And you become the resistance. Nancy Pelosi's caucus at the House. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me. And as always, I greatly appreciate it. It's uh, the day before Halloween, the time of the live broadcast. Uh, so you are hearing this afterwards. And I hope you had a happy Halloween. Hope you thoroughly enjoyed. That's weird. I'm getting a strange, uh, strange 
feedback, I guess, would be the word for it. I don't know uh, if it's some kind of crazy thing going on. But at any rate, we'll continue on. Now, I'm trying to make the point that there's a lot of things to be concerned about with the upcoming election, and rightfully so. But as we continue to look forward, the real question is what has been the predication for all the moves that we've seen on the street? We have had this almost extortionist type mentality uh, thrown out there, so a lot of folks are concerned. You know, we we've basically been told if Donald J. Trump is reelected, uh, then cities will burn. Well, guys, you're already burning the city. So, number one, we believe you. But number two, generally, the American people, regardless of how they typically vote, don't really care much for extortion. But there's a reason why so many people have felt like they have free reign to behave so badly, if you will. I would like to direct you to uh, a series of articles that have been written by Cully Stimson. Now, uh, he, of course, Charles is his given name, but folks call him Cully. He's the leading expert in national security, homeland security, crime control, immigration, and drug policy at the Heritage Foundation Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. And he's been writing uh, a series on rogue prosecutors around the country who've been backed by liberal billionaires, people like George Soros, for example, Ikari Tuna also uh, are names that pop up. And uh, he's also been writing commentaries on the threat that those prosecutors pose to victims and uh, other people alike. And his most recent piece focuses on Philadelphia's district attorney, Larry Kanzer. So a lot of this upcoming commentary is taken directly from his most recent piece. So I want to give full credit, and you can find, uh, find it at the Daily Signal, which is one of the digital uh, newsletters that are put out by the, uh, the Heritage Foundation. Now, F, the FOP. That, of course, being the Fraternal Order of Police. And uh, no good cops in a racist system. Now, those were chants that were being yelled at. Sayings that supporters of the Philadelphia District Attorney, Larry Kranzner, chanted at his election night victory party just two years ago. And... Did he tell them to stop? Did he tell them, no, you can't say those things? Did he say, as a DA, I'm expected to work with police and to be a force for maintaining law and order? No. Now, instead, he simply smiled approvingly. He was okay with these chants because he believes that these people are correct. Now, Kranzer is a career criminal defense and civil rights attorney. He has sued the Philadelphia Police Department dozens of times over the decades, ran to be Philadelphia's district attorney, and received just shy of $1.45 million in campaign spending from George Soros in the process. 
Now, unfortunately, he's one of many elected rogue prosecutors around the country who have usurped the legislative power by refusing to prosecute large categories of crimes, by refusing to hold criminals to account. He and others like him abuse the power of their office and harm victims and their communities as a result. Literally, a straight line can often be drawn from their anti-cop attitudes and their radically dangerous policies to increases in violent crime. And in this gentleman's particular case, even the death of a Philadelphia police officer. To put it bluntly, James O'Connor, a 23-year veteran of the Philadelphia Police Department… Would likely be alive today if Kranzner had done his job. Instead, Hassan Elliott, a career felon, a parole violator, a wanted murderer, gunned down and killed O'Connor back in March 13th of this year. The United States attorney in Philadelphia, William McSwain, he laid it all out in his past March in a press statement saying, quote, the murder was a direct result of Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Kranzner's pro-violent defendant policies. Sadly, O'Connor is but one of hundreds of victims at the hands of Krasner's reckless, rogue policies. This press release that uh, I mentioned, it outlined how Krasner's office, following Krasner's policy guidance, allowed Elliot to roam the streets and kill O'Connor, including things that I think a lot of us would find pretty disturbing. Little little tidbits of information like uh, Krasner's office gave Elliot a sweetheart deal on a gun charge. That Elliot violated his parole on the gun charge by being arrested for possession of cocaine. That the DA's office took no action on Elliot's parole violation. The DA's office, following the DA's lax bail policies, allowed Elliot to be released on his own recognizance despite a 2018 firearms conviction. Elliot then murdered Tyree Tyrone after he violated his parole while out on bail. The DA's office withdrew the cocaine charges against Elliot after the Tyrone murder, despite the fact that Elliot failed to appear for his court appearance on the cocaine charges. The DA's office also failed to detain Elliot, allowing him to prey on more victims and ultimately to gun down O'Connor. As the press release from the federal prosecutor rather bluntly puts it, Elliot was a gangbanger wanted for murder. Yet the DA's office did nothing. And that's just one of thousands of cases per year where the DA's office in Philadelphia, following Kranzner's orders, does nothing instead of faithfully enforcing the law as it's written. Immediately after this guy was elected and sworn into office, he fired 31 career prosecutors in the office, many of whom were in the homicide division and highly experienced. Kranzner didn't do the firing himself either. He had one of us do the dirty work for him. He couldn't be bothered with such things. 
and that person told the career prosecutors that they had just a few hours to clear out their desk. Not only going in and saying, oh, sorry, guys, but you're fired, but we really need you to move on because we got people coming to, to take your spots. Now, since deputy district attorneys in the Philadelphia DA's office serve at will and don't enjoy any kind of civil service protection, Krasner's move technically was legal, but to fire 31 of them is still pretty extraordinary. Like many newly elected rogue prosecutors, Kranzner also issued a non-prosecution policy memo to attorneys in his office soon after he was elected. Uh, the Kranzner memo? Well, it required his assistant district attorneys to radically change the way they approached their job, including some of the following orders. Decline to charge four categories of crime. There were literally four categories of crime that uh, they simply were not going to charge people with. To charge lower uh, graduations of crimes. In other words, if somebody could be charged at two different levels or if you could be charged with multiple crimes, you're only going to charge them with one, and you're going to charge them with the least serious amount. The idea here was to try to make sure that no bail was required. That was part of the effort to divert more cases, including drug distribution, meaning we're, we're going to move you somewhere other than the courts if we can. We're going to, if we have to take some kind of action, we're still not going to take legal action that might get you off the streets. To make plea offers that are at the bottom of the state's guidelines, meaning uh, whatever the smallest amount of time we can offer, that's where we're going to start with. We're not going to try to even get you in the middle of the range. We're just going to go right for the, less, the least we can do. Inform the judge at sentencing proceedings about the financial cost to the state for each year of incarceration. In other words, they were told that part of their job as prosecutors, no less, was to remind the judge that, yeah, okay, we know you're going to probably sentence these guys, but remember, it costs a lot of money in upkeep the longer they're there. So, you know, just a, a backhanded way to try to suggest to the judge to go as low end as possible. Part of their orders also was to request shorter probation and parole periods. To request no more than six months for a technical parole violation, no matter how much backup time the offender had. Request no more than two years for a regular parole violation, again, regardless of backup time available. Charge no more parole violations for a positive marijuana test or if the, paro the parolee is caught with marijuana, meaning that, uh, yeah, if it's just marijuana, guys, we're, we're not going to do anything. Now, these are exactly the type of radical changes to a prosecutor's office you would expect if you were to put a dyed-in-the-wool criminal defense attorney beholding to Soros and his ilk in charge of a district attorney's office. He did exactly what he was bought and paid for to do. To highlight the absurdity of Kesner's view of himself as the city's public defender with power, 
Imagine for a moment if if the moment's if the movement's goal was the opposite to place career died in the wool prosecutors into the role of the head public defender in large jurisdictions, and then have those public defenders instruct their deputy public defenders to encourage all or most of their clients to accept responsibility for their crimes, to plead guilty, and not to oppose the government's sentencing recommendations. Could you imagine the outrage? Could you imagine the absurdity of that notion? Uh, yes, I'm a public defender. Now, uh, contrary to what you may be led to believe uh, when you watch television, not all public defenders are unhappy in their work. Not all public defenders are forced into being a public defender. Not all of them are burned out or or so, so cynical. That they just go through the motions. Now we've all seen those characters on TV. We've all been led to believe that public defenders simply aren't adequate legal defense, and in some cases, maybe so. But I also happen to know for a fact that a lot of public defenders are dedicated attorneys that volunteer their time because they are dedicated to the possibility. Prospect of someone who can't afford good legal representation should still have good legal representation. So, if you look at a public defender and think for a second that, yeah, yeah, we're not going to fight what they're trying. Yeah, they're trying to, uh, they really want to hit you with 30 years in prison and then the death penalty uh, over this jaywalking thing. But <laughs> you just go ahead, plead guilty, and and we'll just fall on the mercy of the judge and see what happens. Could you imagine if any jurisdiction that that was the policy? I mean, I got to tell you the truth. I would be outraged by it. I would because that's rigging the system. It's not the way our legal system is intended to work. There's, there's just there's no room for that. Now. Both movements, the rogue prosecutor movement and the hypothetical public defender prosecutor movement, uh, would be radical departures from the adversarial system of justice that we have in most places where prosecutors prosecute and enforce the law and defense attorneys defend the constitutional rights of those accused of crimes. And both handle their respective duties zealously, ethically, and aggressively. It's not a perfect system, but it's about as good as you're going to get. Now, Krasner no doubt knows that it's difficult to quantify the damage of his non-prosecution policies. He also likely knows that it's not possible to quantify the number of cases in which his assistants implement his soft-on-crime approach across all of their responsibilities. Cranster's office is essentially ignoring or refusing to prosecute low-level offenses, such as possession of illegal drugs, loitering, violations of ordinance, prohibiting public encampments, and you know everything that's on the leftist agenda. Despite the fact that each is a crime under state law. So what's the result? Well, the same thing that you can always expect when you get soft on crime. Crime goes up. 
Murders are up in Philadelphia, 235 additional murder victims, and counting, by the way. That's how many extra dead people there have been in total in the city of Philadelphia since the new DA took office, despite the fact that the number of homicides and violent crimes across the country have been going down. For decades, the number of homicides and violent crimes in Philadelphia have exploded since the new DA was elected, and the vast majority of the victims – well, they just for the record, they're black, not, not talking about the criminals here. I'm not trying to, to say that blacks are criminal. I'm saying the victims now, a lot of this is, in fact, black-on-black crime. So why can't we have law enforcement for black victims? I mean, I myself, I don't want color to be a factor here. I want all victims of crime to have justice served. I do. And I, I'm truly in fear of this, what's going to happen in this nation, depending on the outcome of the upcoming election, and I'll if I have time, we'll go into that, and it looks like I'm running out of time pretty quick here. But in the three years before this individual was sworn into office, there were a total of 867 murders in the city of Philadelphia, an average of 289 per year. This guy was sworn in January 2018. In 2018, there were 351 murders. 2019, there were 347 murders, and as of October 28th, there have been a whopping 404 murders for a total of 1,102 murders, an average of 367 murders per year and counting. As a result of this guy's hands-off approach, the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania, headquartered in Philadelphia… Has picked up the slack by prosecuting violent crimes that can be charged in federal court. McSwain, the U.S. attorney and a former Army Special Forces officer, just FYI, has repeatedly called out Kranzner, saying that his radical experiment has failed, that he is fed up with Krasner's new culture of disrespect for law enforcement, and that you can draw a straight line from these policies to the carnage on the streets. Now, murders aren't the only thing. Automobile thefts are up. Commercial burglaries are up 130% over uh, last year. Aggravated assault with a gun are up 42%. Rogue prosecutors continue to be an issue. It's not just in Philadelphia. This has been a concerted effort, and this is the result of George Soros and other leftist, globalist, elitist million and billionaires who have money to burn and who want to see this country burn. Now, rogue prosecutors have an Achilles heel, and again… Kelly wrote about uh, – in one of uh, an earlier commentaries about Marilyn Mosby, the Baltimore rogue prosecutor. The Achilles heel for the rogue prosecutor's movement is the fact that crime rates, especially violent crimes, rise in cities where they're in charge. But the problem is there's not enough folks 
that are willing to push back. See, criminal justice reform is fine if it's legitimate reform, and there's room for reform. The problem is under the guise of reform and under the guise, under the, the heading of progressivism, these people are just flat out ignoring crimes, and they're engaging in racism, the soft racism of low expectations. The idea that we shouldn't charge you with a marijuana crime because you can't help that you're having to use marijuana. Well, if it's not legal in your state, it's not legal. Sorry. It's still not legal federally at any point. Not yet. I assume that will probably change at some point in the relatively near future. But this is what leads to the type of violence on the streets that we're seeing, and this is the exact purpose. The federal district attorney says your experiment has failed, but it hasn't because that was the experiment, the emboldenment of an army of street thugs that will act on behalf of the desires and wishes of these people who simply want to watch cities burn. Because they know it's going to push us to our breaking point. They want to see our constitution done away with, and if those folks who are not willing to stand back and let that happen should rise up, then they need soldiers on the ground. And they need violent criminals to do that because most Antifa wannabes typically run at the first sign of rubber bullets. That's why Philadelphia in its current little uh, issues… Have uh, passed at the city council an ordinance not allowing the police to use any real kind of crowd control anyway. We just want you to stand there, be a target. I, I really don't know how any police officer stands up and does their job right now. I salute you. If you're wearing blue and you're still putting up with all of this, especially in some of these cities, knowing what your mayor's and your city councils are putting you through, knowing what you're having to do when you're trying to stand the line but you're not allowed to do your job, and knowing that the only reason you are is because of your commitment to your community. God bless you, and I pray every day for you. I do. It's a concerted effort. Been put in place, a plan, a, a well-laid plan, very patient folks, and – you know, everybody kind of starts making fun of it when a conservative mentions George Soros. Says, Ooh, a tinfoil hat boogeyman. But George Soros it literally does this stuff, and he has been directly linked to the election of dozens of these rogue DAs. And it has been for exactly this purpose. It's led up to whatever befalls our streets after Tuesday. Either Trump wins. And they try to burn down cities, or what I'm really afraid of, Biden is declared the winner. They try to quickly push in all these leftist agendas, and there's just going to be a few too many folks that aren't going to stand back and put up with it that will stand up. And we may have ourselves a second American Civil War. If Biden is declared the winner, I don't know that our next change of power happens as a result of an election.
I don't know that we can wait that long. That's going to be it for me for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I do hope you have a happy Halloween. Please, if you have the opportunity, check out the WCET Spookathon. And uh, remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort. And most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, guys, please, please, please stay safe, stay healthy, and, uh, you know, be smart out there, guys. I'm out. Have a great weekend. Using both hands Founders knew the Second Amendment was the final one to keep To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep Now in Hitler, now in and Pol Pot They told the things that you never forgot Is using both hands Well I prefer the free awake to tiny two to three Give me more than a thousand yards to protect my family
<laughs> Happy Halloween, everybody. Have a great one. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.